0: Anderson Afternoons, the podcast.
1: Hello, welcome, and coming up on the podcast, Charles Adler on the Alberta election results, Marion Ellis at the Interdike Health Authority on patient satisfaction, Greg Mackling from the start on the Jets and Blues, it's all tied up at two now, Amber McGook and one of our global news reporters, and her mom, Verna, after a goose attack, and Councillor Kevin Klein on a letter he got from a Charles Wood Grade 8 student. Please rate the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast, and now, the podcast. But right now, joining us from beautiful downtown Vancouver, British Columbia, the host of Charles Adler tonight, Chuck Adler. Hi, Charles.
2: Hell, you know I'm not a downtown guy. Well, I'm, no. I'm a burbs. A yes, burbs. I'm, okay. I'm at the burbs. Like, right. like I uh-huh. was in Winnipeg and then everywhere else. Yes. What is it like A-burbing there today? Why,
1: what is it like in the, in the
2: burbs today out there? <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as always in the, in the burbs of Vancouver, uh, construction cranes everywhere. Yeah. There's uh, lots of development uh, going on. Lots of people moving here. Some of them from, from Manitoba.
3: Yep.
1: And uh, so we need housing for them. All right. Excellent. Well, what do you make of the uh, election results in Alberta? No real surprise, I guess. No, I mean if you if you sort of take
2: the campaign out of it and uh, just look at Al- Alberta in general, if I were to to tell you, if you let's say you'd been sort of out of the pick, out of the country for a few years, you were working in Japan or something, just come back to Canada and I said to you there's a, there was an election in Alberta last night and a little over half the folks uh, voted for the Conservative Party and about a third voted for the NDP you'd go, oh, that's that's the Alberta I grew up in, uh, yep. ho-hum.
3: Right.
1: Yeah. I, I think the NDP win was uh, more the oddity, right? This is sort of normal now for, for that province.
2: Well, you know, liberals uh, used to brag when Jean Chrétien was running up those majorities and they felt it was his personality and Canadians were crazy about him. But anyone who was living in the battlegrounds of Ontario where I was living at the time knew that there was only one reason why he was racking up majorities. It was because there was the Progressive Conservative Party, and it was <laughs> the Reform Party. And, um, you know, my, most of my neighbors would vote for either of those two, and, you know, that vote split wasn't terribly constructive if you didn't want the liberals to return to power.
1: You had an interview with Jason Kenney, the leader of the United Conservative Party, that went viral. People were talking about it across the country. We certainly were talking about it here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. And uh, Jeff Currier this morning was talking about the results of the Alberta election, and a listener, Mike, texted this in, 204-780-6868. Mike said, honestly, Jeff, I can't help but think Charles Adler's commentary brought out the so-called knuckle-draggers, LOL. <laughs> what do you think of that? Do you think the interview you did with Kenny may have had an impact in some way on on the voter turnout or the results or...
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because you know a lot of people were, were contacting me in, from Alberta and elsewhere. But uh, just to focus on on this particular question, you know, a number of uh, base conservatives were, were contacting me, not understanding why. As a as a conservative commentator, I was uh, picking on uh, picking on poor Jason, and of course, uh, it was a, a particular issue where I thought he made a a poor judgment call. Right. But the the, the larger part of the uh, controversy is that uh, the people who were contacting me were getting more more and more agitated and animated, and it was clear as a bell that they were definitely, definitely going to go to the polls and get as many of their friends to go to the polls as possible. So I, I will never believe that the interview hurt Jason in any way. May, may it may hurt his feelings for a few minutes, but yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it hurt his chances, and it never hurts a politician's chances when his supporters get really serious about voting.
1: Yeah, and and you were right to kind of call him out on it. I thought I, I I listen. You asked legitimate questions, and and they were questions he should have been able to answer better, in my opinion. Well, you know, he 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 told me.
2: Uh, I guess uh, I'm trying to remember the exact date, but more than six months before that conversation took place, uh, he he told me that if there were a so-called bozo eruption, and that controversy certainly qualified. If there were one of those things uh, during a campaign, even if it was after, uh, you know, closing time for having uh, names on the ballot, he told me he would do a, you know, a three step plan. Number one, he would tell people how he felt about uh, the eruption, how it didn't uh, comport with, with his values and Alberta values. And then he would uh, say to the folks, look, it's a democracy. Uh, He's on the ballot. He was legitimately uh, nominated. You can vote for him if you like. That's step two. And the step three is telling the folks, honestly, if he does get elected, he can stay in the, the legislature, but he's going to be sitting outside my caucus. He's not welcome in my cabinet or my caucus. So that's what he told me, and I thought that was a very principled answer. But six months later, when, when it actually happened, yeah. he changed his tune and started talking about what a good guy this guy is, and just because he had a bad day in church uh, six years ago is no reason to rustle him out.
1: Well, and that's because things were looking good, right? The election was getting close, and uh, all of a sudden the politician kicks in.
2: Well, you know, the thing is that they poll every night. It doesn't matter whether it's a federal election or provincial election. They knew they had this one in the bag, and when you've got one in the bag, generally the advice from the comms people is take any hits you, you have to take, whether it's from Adler or Anderson or anyone else, don't change a darn thing. Just don't change anything. So that was the mode that he was in. I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, mm. I'm not changing and this is my story and I'm sticking to it.
1: Yeah, of course, here in Manitoba, it's now looking like the flooding's not going to be as bad. And so a lot of people are thinking Brian Pallister might call an early election. What can we learn from what happened in Alberta with an election coming here in Manitoba? You talk to people in both provinces right across the country. What can we learn uh, heading into maybe an early election here?
2: well what we can generally learn in in, in all elections is that uh, what counts most for people are you know the groceries uh, jobs and their kids uh, you know slash grandkids and if uh, they feel their kids and grandkids have a have a good future and they feel they 've got a relative amount of um, job security and uh, the economy's in in pretty good shape and uh, they 're able to feed themselves and their families it 's pretty tough uh, to beat them you know gary Gary doer. Uh, used to tell me that if people feel their housing prices, if their home price, which is their chief asset, their real RSP, if it's going up a couple of points every year, uh, there's a very, very good chance that the incumbent will stay in power unless there's some sort of major scandal. So, unless they've got, uh, unless they can hang some kind of scandal around uh, uh, Pallister's neck, uh, I, I just don't, uh, I don't. I don't see. Based on where the economy is right now, uh, I just don't see a, a negative. And, and and the place where it becomes most obvious is when I'm watching a jet game. I mean. We're talking about uh, people that are incredibly pumped up uh, right now about their life. I think the Jets are a huge part of that, huge part of morale. If I thought Manitobans were demoralized right now, I'd say that uh, Pallister is really rolling the dice by calling the election earlier than necessary.
1: Let me ask you about one more connection between Manitoba and Alberta after this election in Alberta. This morning I was listening to The Start, Mackling, McGarry and McNabb and and Greg Mackling said something and I thought it was kind of interesting. He said, what happened in the Alberta election in Edmonton specifically further proves what he believes – that Winnipeg is more like Edmonton than it is Calgary. Edmonton saw a lot of NDP candidates get elected. And of course, we see that here, right? A lot of NDP votes in Winnipeg, outside Winnipeg, more Tory. Is there, you take calls in Edmonton, Winnipeg, Calgary, everywhere. Do you see the similarity between the two cities? I think often we compare ourselves here in Winnipeg to Calgary, but maybe we are more like Edmonton.
2: Winnipeg is more like Edmonton because it's the capital. You've got lots of public sector employees, and the public sector employees are generally feeling more secure uh, than, than private uh, s- private sector people. Uh, the, you know, the public sector employees don't want to hear uh, stories about fiscal conservatism and cut this and cut that because uh, they look at that as uh, cutting either their jobs or, 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 or future jobs. Uh, uh, for their children and grandchildren because it's not unusual for public sector people to have kids and grandkids going into it. No, no different than people who are in the military. It's not unusual to have their, uh, their sons and daughters also want to be in the military.
1: Before we bring on our next guest here from the Interlake, I'll just tell you that the Canadian Institute of Health Information, we call it KIHI around here, Canadian Institute of Health Information is out with some new data Manitoba does well when it comes to patient satisfaction on quality of hospital stays. 64% of respondents to this survey by Hi say their experience was very good. On the start this morning, from Hi,
4: Jeannie LaCroix. So this is really about hospital stays, so people that come into hospital for various procedures and stay overnight... Um, And they get to provide a number of sort of they get to provide feedback on all aspects of their stay, which is very important for the system. And our report highlights, for instance, when they leave hospital, uh, you know, we see three out of four say they had good planning. But when it comes to things like understanding their condition when they're leaving hospital and, and their medications, only about 40% said, they, um, 40% said they didn't receive enough information. And so this is important for the system to take away so that we reduce that confusion and anxiety the patients have. And, you know, it improves their care when they leave hospital so they're not experiencing side effects and they know what to look for.
1: And when uh, Jeannie was on with the start this morning, she mentioned the interlake. Let me play this clip and then we'll get to our guest, I promise.
4: I think certainly there are all kinds of interventions and and solutions that uh, providers are using technology. And and even in Manitoba, we highlighted uh, in our report just simple things like gathering around and looking at your results. So the providers in Interlake Regional Health Authority, they're gathering and posting their results um, weekly, on boards, and all the providers look at their patient experience data so they can work together to see what are we doing, what are we doing well, where can we improve. So there's a lot of great things that, that can be done, and that's why we're highlighting this data, so that people can take that and work on it to improve the system.
1: And joining us on the phone now, Marion Ella. She is the Vice President of Acute Care and the Chief Nursing Officer, Interlake Eastern Regional Health Authority. Good afternoon, Marion. Hello. Afternoon, Ah, there you are. We're having some issues with our phones today, so I apologize if we cut in and out here. Hopefully, we'll get this in. Thank you very much for doing this. So uh, tell me about that, what we just heard from the uh, Kaihai person. You guys actually sort of look at, let's call them customer patient satisfaction numbers. You look at those every week and discuss. Tell us about that.
5: So just to be clear, uh, a survey is done nationally by the Canadian Institute of Health Info, You're you're correct, and we get these reports. They don't come weekly. Uh, every patient that's discharged from our hospital is sent a survey to complete. And Kaihai, as you referred to, collates that information, and they produce uh, reports that they give back to all the health regions in Manitoba. So we are doing this with our other colleagues in the healthcare system. We then share these reports with our staff. And our staff love to see how they're doing in comparison to other hospitals in our region and how they're doing in comparison to national benchmarks.
1: Gotcha. So how how often would you look at those numbers then?
5: So we have these reports at every one of our 10 acute care sites. So these documents are at our sites so that staff can look at them because um, the document is a significant size. It's about a 60-page document. But what we do do is we take some key information, they have excellent graphs, out of these documents and we put them on our quality patient safety boards so that they're visible in high traffic areas for uh, patients, their visitors, the public and they're boards where we can stand and huddle around so that we can uh, compare ourselves to ourselves and to um, other hospitals across the country.
1: Yeah, and do you find it's uh, uh, almost like a motivator? Does it, does it make them wanna do better?
5: I don't know if I, I, I was hesitating as to whether I should tell you this, but we have very competitive sites and it certainly motivates them. And our team, credit goes to our staff out there every day. And I'm talking about housekeeping staff who huddle around the boards with us. I'm talking about maintenance. When we get feedback that our rooms are too hot or too cold, our maintenance team help with that. But they huddle around the boards. But we have come up with action plans for each of our sites. For example, some of our sites, we've got information that it's noisy at night and that we're not doing enough to keep the environment quiet so that our patients can rest. So... Our staff with the managers at these sites have come up with their own action plans to address the areas where we need to do better.
1: And I think this is good, right? In any job, my job, uh, every once in a while, I sit down with my supervisors and, and my bosses, and, and they say, hey, you're doing this really well, Hal, you need to work on this. This, this, is, this is the way it should be in any profession, including healthcare, right?
5: Absolutely. And we know that other industries look at quality and they look at metrics. And our CEO is often asking us to uh, what metrics are we counting? And we know that what we don't count and what we don't monitor, um, we're less inclined to be focused on our interventions. So uh, this is a way of quantifying uh, information. It definitely holds us to account. It gives permission to the public to hold us to account. And it's a way of us being open with people so that they can see the areas where the citizens who use our service know where we need to do better. And we're acknowledging that because we're sharing their information with them again and with our staff. And it also encourages those people who come into our hospital to please fill in the survey and please keep giving us feedback so we can make these improvements.
1: We also heard there from the Kaihai official that one area where there is definitely improvement needed, and not just in your area, but right across the country, is when people are leaving hospital, communication, telling them about their medications, when they're leaving, making sure they have information, understanding it. Is that an area that you as well have identified as a a spot that needs some work?
5: Absolutely. And we, uh, we are fortunate in Interlake that we have very good chronic disease nurses who we sometimes, our patients, it's a lot when you're transitioning home, you've been unwell, you're going home. There's a lot of things to consider. There are the new medications we may have put you on. There's, if you have questions, for example, if you, if, uh, you have a breathing uh, problem, what do you do when that problem comes back to you? Uh, who do you go to? So we give, there's a lot of teaching to do and a lot of information to share. And we sometimes rely too much on a verbal um, exchange for communicating. So we do need to find other ways of reinforcing and supporting patients when we discharge them. And we have identified that at some of our sites that where we need to do better.
1: Marion, thank you very much for this. I really appreciate it.
5: Uh, I just want to say um Thank you for this, and I want to acknowledge the other regional health authorities and other jurisdictions in Canada that give us good ideas for things that we need to do better. And um, thanks for being interested. Bye-bye. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Joining us now, one of the co-hosts of The Start here on CJOB, weekday mornings, 6 to 10 a.m., Greg Mackling. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Well, sir, 2-2. Two, two. She's all tied up.
6: <laughs> Not bad, eh? Not bad at all. Uh, I really need to go home to sleep. Is that <laughs> yes, okay you with you? <laughs> yes, you do. How late were you? At? How much sleep
1: did you get last night before you had to get up this morning? I guess morning?
6: Three hour, two and a half hours, I guess it was. Wow. I was in the shower by just after 3, and the game ended about 11.33, 34 And then you couldn't sleep, eh? Oh, no, I was all hyped up on goofballs. So I had to see Paul Maurice's comments, saw some of the comments from some of the players, and uh, our house was rocking, everybody was up. And jumping up and down and hugging and high-fiving, and uh, Jackie tells me the boys got up for school okay this morning, so they earned the next one, right? Yeah, right. So anyway, yeah, we talk about how this brings people together, brings families together. This Mm. is one of the things I have most in common with my dad and my siblings is our love for the Jets, and I know I'm not alone in that.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Boy, and uh, I mean, it's all beginning again this series, right?
6: Best two out of three now. Jets have home ice advantage again. Mm. They've stolen that. Not
1: that it matters, apparently.
6: Uh, Blake Wheeler says uh, maybe it doesn't matter, but he's put out the challenge. He wants to hear fans unlike... He's heard them ever before. So uh, if you're going to the game tomorrow night, 7.30, of course. 7.30 start now. Yeah, we've been used to the different start times. Uh, Blake Wheeler says he he wants to hear you a little bit louder, and I don't think there'll be any problem filling that prescription, that request at all. Yeah. Does home ice uh, matter uh, going forward with this series anyhow? You know, I don't think so. And uh, Hockey's funny that way because back in the old days, you had the Boston Garden. where the ice was six, seven feet shorter. Mm -hmm. So they shrunk the neutral zone so that the offensive zones were exactly the same size. Buffalo was a little smaller. Winnipeg Arena was very dark and the acoustics were a little bit funny in there. And so, you know, the older barns, as they used to call them, yeah, there was a genuine home ice advantage at least there was a perception of one now a lot of the buildings are so similar in their construct mm-hmm. they're all very modern the boards are fairly similar yeah. you know you don't have you don't have these different places dips and and waves in the boards where you could you know the home team would learn the dead spots like the floor in the Boston Garden the the Boston Celtics used to play on that yeah. and you just don't have the same sort of advantages that you would say with a baseball stadium with a long grass or a varying degree or distance with regard to the home run fence, just all that garbage, Mm. none of that in hockey. It's uh, you know, 200 by 85 foot sheet of ice. Maybe the only home ice advantage in terms of that part of it, the facility part. The fans, I think, right? The fans, but also sometimes the ice is better Mm. in some buildings than Mm -hmm. it is uh, in others. So uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, I don't think... Most of us were were feeling too comfortable after games one and two. Well, no. I mean, how can you not be excited? The the team who won the last game always has the momentum, if you Mm -hmm. believe in that stuff. Well, the Jets have now won two in a row, and St. Louis Blues goalie, first time he's lost two games in a row. So maybe the Jets are in his head.
1: Bennington. Now, what were you telling me in the newsroom this morning? He grabbed the puck at the end of the game?
6: <laughs> he did. He scooped uh, the, the what puck. What is and, he going to do with that? Uh, well, I suspect they buried it, burned it, or had some sort of sacrilegious <laughs> ceremony with it uh, if the NHL didn't you know, request it on yeah. behalf of Kyle Connor and the Jets. Uh, you'll remember... When the Jets played their final regular season home game against Wayne Gretzky and the LA Kings, Keith Kachuk scored his 50th goal of the year into an empty net. Well, Wayne Gretzky scooped the puck. Mm-hmm. And he gave it. Eventually, gave it back to the Jets after some prodding and some asking. But uh, sometimes it's a psychological thing. Mm-hmm. I don't. But I think Gretzky just likes to collect stuff. With Binnington, maybe his way of exercising the demon. Yeah. Who knows? Who some knows? Super- who's going to... Superstitions Who there,
1: knows? maybe, or yeah. you never know. But mm-hmm. it was
6: interesting to note.
1: And uh, Kelly Moore this morning on his sportscast on your show was talking about the curse of the Presidents Cup. Let's talk about this.
6: Tampa done in four straight. You have to go back to 1937-38 for the first place team to go out to the last place team in the playoffs. And there were only four teams in the playoffs then. This is essentially, this is not one versus 16, but it's one versus about 14. Yeah. You know, in terms of the best team in the league versus the 14th best in terms mm-hmm. of regular season yeah. record, so to see the number 1 team get swept by the You get swept out of the first round of the playoffs. You have to go back multiple generations. This Mm -hmm. is unprecedented. You could call it one of the biggest upsets in sports history, never mind the National Hockey League. Unbelievable what the Columbus Blue Jackets managed to do.
1: Yeah. You're a pretty superstitious guy. A little bit. What did I hear you? The other morning you said something and you went, oh, you were running a, a report or something, and somebody in there said something about the next series or whatever, and you went, whoa, don't even talk about it.
6: I don't like talking about the next thing, and then everyone was all, all uh, geeked up because the Hoosley singers were singing right. the national anthem. The Ukrainian singers. Right. And spectacular. I mean, you don't get a better yeah. national anthem than right. that in the National Hockey League. Well, they'd been 5-0 and o lifetime, mm-hmm. the Jets, when yeah. they had Hoosley singers. Well, that went down the drain in game two. So yeah. I was saying to Brittany Greenslade this morning, look- You have all your superstitions, all the things, but as soon as you start talking about it and letting people know that this is what you do, then you know what? No. Yeah. It's null and void It's like
1: making a birthday wish. You can't tell anybody or the wish won't come true.
6: Hal Anderson always finds a way to summarize it in six words or less. Mm -hmm. I love it. I should have you work with me all the time. Summarize okay, my thoughts sure. for me. Yeah,
1: if you want to. Hey, listen, uh, you're now used to staying up late with no sleep. Uh, yeah. You can just uh, close
6: with me anytime you want. Well, you can co- vice versa, Okay, man. perfect. Great. Greg <laughs> Mackling, thank you. We'll see you on our show tomorrow morning, okay? Yes. Is that a
1: date? It is a date because okay. we're going to talk about, um, well, we're going to go back to my rock radio days. and all right Yes. And all my years in the bars and yeah. why tomorrow. The night before Good Friday is significant.
6: Ah, oh, yes, mm. of course. Now I used to call it Great Thursday because that's at, what I call
1: it, Great Thursday because we were always excited about the great crowd that was going to be out in the bars. I
6: got uh, I got sort of raked over the coals by one of our listeners yesterday morning. Said Mackling, I can't believe you didn't know it was Bad Thursday. It was never a bad Thursday no. for me. Mm-mm. It was Great yes. Thursday heading yeah. into Good Friday. I can't wait to me hear too. some of your stories, Ben.
1: Thank you, Greg. So the NHL playoffs are on, the NBA playoffs are on. This is Muchos Kilos. Me, Shayner, and Timmy. My band of big guys. A song, brand new one, every single play on CJOB.
3: Every
1: Shannon and Timmy, my band of big guys, every single play. Hoops and hockey. Yeah. So at the start of the show, I played this audio. This is a audio from a video involving the mother of one of our global news reporters. Take a listen. If you missed it at the start of the show, listen to this and then I'm going to explain.
7: Seriously, this one's attacking me. Okay, scoot.
3: I'll go around the other
7: way, around the other building. This is nuts. All
1: right, so let me play the rest of the audio from the video. And by the way, you can see the video tonight on Global News Television at 6 and 10. That voice you heard there in the video is the voice of Verna McGookin, Amber McGookin's mom. Amber, one of our Global News reporters. And Amber and Verna, daughter and mother, We'll both join us here in just a moment. But here is the rest of the audio from that video as Verna gets chased down by an angry goose. A goose attack, listen. It's
3: so let me leave.
7: Okay. It's hissing. I mean, honestly, I cannot, I, it ran
3: after me. I can't move. How, how do I leave? I need to get
7: past there, but it came running after me. I don't
3: know what to do. <laughs> Shoot. Oh my gosh. Hey, scoot, 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 scoot,
1: <laughs> Amber and Verna Magukin join me on the phone now. Hi guys. Hello. Thanks a lot for doing this. So Amber's working on a story for Global News Television tonight at six and ten on this. Verna, uh, tell me about this goose. We heard the audio from the video. This is crazy.
7: <laughs> well, that was after the fact uh, of almost getting attacked. Um, I was walking around our building, um, unaware that there was a goose even close to a present. Um, and as I was walking around the corner, seriously, out of nowhere, running towards me came this uh, goose hissing and uh clearly targeting me, um and yeah. like I said, luckily, I was close to a fence and managed to run behind it um but oh man, that was that scary stuff, like I don't know what I would have done. um, I had my purse, so obviously I would have flung that at it, but uh, it was scary.
1: <laughs> well, and I can hear them squawking in the background
7: now. So that's, that's only one. Right <laughs> here, you can probably hear them. I'm at Fort white and I I'm hearing them. I'm like, oh, am I too close? No, I think I'm okay over here. Yeah, Amber, you wrote
1: at Fort white live to talk to Barrett <laughs> Miller, our our animal expert friend, to find out about uh, these geese and and what you do if one comes at you uh like that so we'll watch your story tonight but um mm-hmm. i gotta tell you vernie your your daughter amber being the good journalist that she is said hey there's a story here amber um so you're gonna <laughs> tell your mom's story we're gonna see the video of your mom in this goose what else barrett what else
7: yeah so pretty much I, I went to u of m2 and they've got this sign it says that uh, caution geese on campus so it's clearly a problem over there too where you've got the students and the geese and yeah my mom's not alone I was just talking to the folks here at Fort White and they said this is something that happens every single year where people are attacked but good news we've only got about a month and a bit more of dealing with this once those little um, eggs turn into little geese then we're okay then that's then it's a little bit easier not as (laughs) not as likely to get attacked
1: yeah, they're protecting uh, the eggs at this point. Verna, does that make you feel any better about this goose coming at you, knowing that she was protecting the young?
7: Well, let me tell you, next time I parked up right against the fence so that I would be able to make it to my car in time, but um, they have left. I think I scared it because uh, <laughs> when I was leaving, it was um, I actually had to now run around the other side of the building yeah. and make it to my car, but then I drove up right to it. But, I mean, obviously not hitting it, but it was not moving. Yeah. I, like, I mean, I was inches away, and then finally it left. But, um, yeah, I so I think they were just in the early stages of, figuring out where to, well, I don't know, lay an egg, what but I nest,
3: think they yeah. left.
7: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank goodness. Yeah. I'm sure you scared it away. <laughs> oh,
3: <yeah. laughs> you know. I
1: don't know. What was the scariest part though, Verna? I think the hissing, right? When it starts hissing at you, I mean, that's scary.
7: Yeah. And it was moving. Like, so when I would move like now on the other side of the fence, it was following me. It didn't like any uh, direction I went and all of a sudden it realized there was a gate open and it started running towards it and I just made it in time closing the gate. Like it was clearly coming after me yeah and yeah so wow well
1: very brave of you verna you uh survived a goose attack and uh your daughter the journalist is is making a story out of it so there you go
7: <laughs> i have to keep my mouth shut right yes. so i don't have to do this again
1: right verna thanks a lot amber we'll watch for your story on global news television tonight at six and ten for everything uh, bye guys global news reporter amber magukin and her mom Verna Magookin. yeah, video's crazy. You'll see it tonight. Global News Television at six and ten. Kevin Klein is the uh, councilor, the city councilor for Charleswood, Tuxedo, and Westwood, and he joins us on the phone now. Good afternoon, Kevin. Good afternoon, Hal. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I I saw that you had a meeting today. You got an email from an eighth grader at Charleswood School, and uh, it, uh, I guess, moved you to the point where you went to the police chief, Danny Smythe, and he agreed to join you and and meet with the students. Uh, That happened today. Before you tell us about the meeting, tell us about the email you got from this uh, young girl. Well,
0: uh, thanks, Al. It started. Uh, I had the opportunity to speak to this uh, grade eight class some time ago, uh, and then uh, about four, or six weeks later, I received an email uh, from the young lady uh, mentioning that she was afraid. Uh, there was some attempted break-ins on her street into homes, um, and they understood that one or two of the houses were actually did get broken into, and she didn't feel safe. And she was reaching out, asking, you know, what what she could do to feel safe. Uh, and it was it was interesting because she noted that she didn't think I could do anything right away but she she was just looking for help and she didn't know what to tell her little her brother or her family and she was concerned about it so I I took that note and uh, because it hit me, you know, being a victim of crime, I understand that the the emotions that you go through. And uh, I took it to Danny and uh, to Chief Smythe and uh, he immediately said, let's go. Let's go talk with her. Uh, Maybe we'll talk to the class and and have a discussion about what's happening and about what they can do. uh, You know, students of any age to to uh, be a part of the solution, to uh, be a part of uh, making it a better place. And uh that's what we did today. It was uh, it was amazing. Uh the principal brought in all the grade 7 students and all the grade 8 students and it was a uh, it was an incredible talk.
1: So tell us about it. So
0: you know uh it- First of all, Chief Smythe is just—he's uh, got such an incredible uh, rapport with young people. I've seen him talk now a couple of times, and he shared his story of how he became a policeman and and you know what he has dealt with uh, throughout his many years serving Winnipeg. Um, he talked about crimes that uh, he was very honest with them and very direct, and talked about the crimes that are affecting the city and you know what that means to the city and what that means to the police and and how they deal with it and and what to watch for. But then he opened it up and he said, "But this is you know." Really about you so what questions do you have and the questions started coming in and they were asking questions that uh you know that for me it was like oh my gosh that's a grade seven or a grade eight student asking a question about narcotics um asking a question about you know what happens if somebody breaks into your house or how do you catch them um asking you know questions about uh whether or not uh the chief uh, agreed with legalizing marijuana um And so many other questions related to, you know, the public safety in our city, they really did have uh, an incredible take on what was happening. And you could you could see that they were they were focused. There wasn't a lot of talk. There wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, other conversations going on. It was a room of several kids focused right in on the police chief. I mean, it's a chance of a lifetime, too, to sit there and actually have a conversation with the police chief. And well, yeah. uh, it, was, it was amazing.
1: And, and uh, I mean, good on you for a couple of reasons. I'll get into a couple of others. But, I mean, these are the same questions that Winnipeggers of all ages have, right? We're all worried about our safety.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a very good point. And, and that was, you know, the we talked to the young lady specifically afterwards. And that was her thing is that like, she didn't know where to turn. She didn't know how they would catch a person. She didn't know because it's never happened to her. She's seen it on TV or she's heard about it. But it's now happening in our communities. And she didn't know why. So, you know, the chief was able to talk about why and and what leads to that and what they're trying to do and how how they can help by being, you know, vigilant in their neighborhood. If they see something, call the police. If you see, even if it's the smallest crime, call the police and he, you know, uh, Danny went through that entire process with these kids and and you could see it clicking with them. Okay, that's that's what we can do to get involved is we can make sure we go online or we can make sure we tell, um, you know, a police officer or the community police officer that comes to the school. It was really good to see them engage. To me, that's why I did this. That's why I ran for office, was to see people get engaged, because that's who we work for. And even though these are young people, they're not going to vote for many, many years. It doesn't matter. They got to see that the police chief cared, Um, that the police chief was going to listen to them and was going to try to give them the answers, be open with them, be Mm -hmm.
3: honest, and have
0: a conversation. And they asked questions on scale. I sat at the back of the room going, ooh, I, I don't know if I would ask that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they were open about it, and they felt comfortable with him. And it yeah. was, it was uh, you know, talking to the principal, it was really nice to see them engaged and, and caring. They yeah. actually cared. Yeah.
1: And do you feel like their concerns were eased a bit maybe by you and Chief Smythe being there today and talking to them?
0: Well, I don't think it had anything to do with me being there, but I really do believe that, uh, you know, them having that opportunity to talk to Chief Smythe and hear him talk about you know, what to do and, and what they do in response. I, I think that that was really comforting to a lot of them. There was quite a lineup afterwards to have selfies taken with them and, and other questions. You know, other kids had questions that they were afraid to ask openly. And then he took the time to answer those questions. And to your point, they were saying, if someone does break into my home, how, how, do we know, how are we ever going to catch them? And then, you know, he talked about it. Mm-hmm. Most people are caught by fingerprints. Yeah. So call us. Right. Because that's how we catch people. And and they didn't know, right? They, they didn't know what the answer would be. And then he, he was able to talk to them about how many police cars are out there. You know, so at night, don't worry. You, you, we have police cars out there. This is how we, this is how we know where to go. This is how, uh, how you contact them. There was one great question. Well, if you're chasing somebody and they go across the border, what do you do? <laughs> and, and you know, and the, the good question, and Danny yeah. talked about that, and talked about the relationships, and talked about how they'll follow the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, there was one person recently that they followed from BC to Winnipeg, and as soon as he got into Winnipeg, they made the arrest. So they, I think they felt comfort in knowing that there was somebody behind the badge, and, and that there was a real person there and that, that person cared and was you know willing to have that discussion with them openly uh, about meth about what happens with meth about why crimes happen, and yeah. because of meth, and, and, and to be open with them about it. I think that that did help them. I
1: yeah. hope it did. Yeah, and, and gives them a good positive experience uh, with not just a police officer, but the chief of police, right? Gives them that great uh, positive experience with the chief, and and then later in life, uh, you know, hopefully they remember that, and who knows? Maybe at, uh, I mean, grade seven, grade eight is, uh, well, I was going to say it's a bit early, but it's not really that early. Uh, you know, maybe sets them down the right path. And here was the first thought I had, Kevin. I thought, good for you for not just getting back to her, but taking action. And she now, like you said in her, in her email, she said, "Well, you're probably not going to be able to do anything." And here now you've got a uh, meeting with the police chief for not just her, but uh, you know the, almost the entire school. So who knows? You you might have inspired her maybe to what r- run one day against you in Charleswood, tuxedo and Westwood. <laughs> who knows? I, I hope
0: so. You know, I, I really do hope so. And I can tell you, that's interesting. You say that because there must have been ten kids that wanted to talk to the to chief about becoming police officers. How long it would take? What did they have to do? What classes should they take? Right. It was it was inspiring to see that. Yeah. You know, and, and some of them not even thinking about it. You know, they weren't thinking about it before they walked in that room, and and I think that they they felt that connection and they felt maybe they could make a difference in the community because he talked about that mm-hmm. you know, he talked about what you could do and, and how you are a part of it. So thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, she, she would win though. She's a great young lady and uh, I'm, I'm hoping she does run one day.
1: Good story, Kevin. Good on you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Al.